0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Good morning and welcome to The Futurist. I'm Ben Rohde.
0: And I'm Alex Lightman.
1: Hey, Alex Lightman. So today we are going to be talking about Alex Lightman's 50-point presidential agenda. And I read over this a while back when he posted it, and it was so good, and it got people talking. And it's, it's something that's inspirational and that we can stand behind and not only that, it's not, they're not just talking points. They're not just cool things that, that we think we should do. But he also has really good reasons behind them. So we we're thinking we'd uh, you know, set a limit of fifth, uh, one talking point per minute. But I know we're just going to go deeper into some of them. I have no idea if we're actually going to be able to get to 50 of these points. But either way, I'm super excited about it. And if you uh, if you go to either Alex's page or my page or the Futurist page, you can uh, on Facebook you can follow along with this agenda. He posted a link to his 50 point agenda, and he's also going to talk a little bit about ownership and what that means for our country. And Alex, I'm getting a lot of background noise over there. Um, so anyway, Alex, uh, introduce us to your your amazing 50-point
0: plan. Sure. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for doing the show on this. So I want to start off talking about uh, what it means to elect a president in a financial sense because we come down to all these personality issues, but if I were going to change the way that we discuss the election, I would say, okay, so you want $20 trillion. What are you going to do with it? When you go to venture capitalists, when you go to get money for people for a venture, they want to know what you're going to do. They want to know your assumptions. They want to know what do you think is going to happen with the growth rate of the United States, what industries are growing, what industries are dying. And let's say that you want $4 million, well, or, or $20 million. That's, I think that's a better one. Um, then you're going to have to show a use of proceeds. And the president is going to get a check for $20 trillion. Now, the president has 123 people now. That's in the Obama administration just making the big spreadsheet, and the spreadsheet has to go in by a certain time. And I think every time but one or two, the Obama administration has been late in delivering that spreadsheet. And I find that very instructive because I think that should be the first thing we should be doing is getting that spreadsheet in ahead of time so the public can discuss it at a nuanced level. Now, why doesn't the public get more engaged in this? I think it has to do with the fact that we are absentee owners, and we're not really owners in a legal sense. So Ross Perot and others have said, well, you're the taxpayer. You're the owner. But that's not legally true. There are five things that have to be present to have ownership. The first one is you have to have title. So the uh, policeman if he pulls you over for speeding or something, asks for license, which is the right to operate the vehicle, and registration, meaning that you are the owner of the vehicle, so we can make a legal connection between what you're doing, you know, see that you haven't stolen it. So if we were owners of the United States, we'd have a piece of paper that said so. Nobody has such a piece of paper, so we aren't really owners. The second thing is that in certain cases of ownership where there are there's a, a shared thing, We would have somebody on the board representing our interests and voting our shares. The third thing is that we would have the ability to buy or sell our shares. I could sell my shares in America, Inc. to you for whatever price I wanted. Um, The fourth thing is that I would have audited financial statements that were according to GAAP, generally accepted accounting principles, and according to Sarbanes, Oxley, and all these other things. We don't have that. We don't actually even keep our accounting straight, so we don't really know what we're spending. And we would have the ability, this is really, really important, to vote our shares. Now, the president is selected by the electoral college. And those electors are supposed to be done according to how the votes are done, but they can always choose somebody different if they want to. So it's just as possible to choose a president by voting our shares. I love the idea, in terms of how to do this, of having the United States go public and having 51% of the shares held by Congress and the president and 49% going to the American citizenry. And then using that money uh, that was sold off to, uh, you know, in selling the shares, like we, we give away some shares and we sell others, but we wipe out the federal debt. There's no federal mm-hmm. debt. All the debts are paid off. There's no interest payments. And to put this in perspective, we're at some of the lowest interest rates in history, the U.K. yesterday hit the lowest rate ever uh, for you know, the U.K. rate slash to lowest in history. So this is a perfect time to prepare for massive increases in interest rates in the future. They can't go lower than the historic, historical low. So uh, we in 2015, we spent $233 billion on interest payments. Now that might sound like a lot, but considering we have over nineteen trillion in federal debt it 's actually pretty cheap it 's between you know it 's basically between one and two percent interest that 's phenomenal i wouldn 't mind paying one and two percent interest on nineteen trillion dollars. I would love that deal <laughs> but we 've had times in the past with spikes in oil prices, and part of the reason interest rates are low is that oil prices are low. If oil prices spiked quite a lot, you know if you took out let 's say Pipelines in Cushing, Oklahoma, and in Turkey, uh, you could spike oil to double, and then you would have inflation, and that would ripple through the system, and it would spike interest rates. And so, what happens if interest rates go to three, four, or five percent? Well, we're talking four hundred billion, five hundred billion, six hundred billion. Right. And how how high can they go? We had Fed funds as high as twenty percent at the end of the Carter administration, which is why he didn't get reelected. Um, and so what is 20% of $20 trillion? Well, that's $4 trillion a year. How much does the U.S. take in in taxes each year? How much did it take in last year? $3.5 trillion. So theoretically, the interest payments could be greater than the total amount of money taken in by the federal government. And so it's not sustainable. So part of what we want to do is we want to think ahead and we want to have a system whereby we can get rid of the debt and we don't have to spend any of that money on interest. Now, one of the benefits of doing that is that we don't have this predatory class of bankers because if you can just kick back and just simply get $233 billion a year for doing nothing – nothing at all, then you know you don't make anything, you don't feed anybody, you don't educate anybody, you don't transport anything or anybody, you just kick back, you're going to have some very, very lazy people who just see the U.S. government as being the goose that lead, laid the golden egg or this giant cow to be milked. And I love the idea of the United States where everybody is on equal footing. And so the idea of thinking of us as owners and having shares and not having any debt, it's very, very appealing to me. And when you start from that place, everything seems different to you. You look at the world in a whole different way. You don't put up with the same kind of limited thinking on other points. So
1: um, what do you think of that? Well, the, yeah, the, the thing that keeps coming up to me is uh, who's, who's able to make the U.S. a public, a publicly traded thing, and who could buy the shares? So would it would it be something that only U.S. citizen would be able to buy the shares, or is nope, China anybody could to... buy the
0: shares. Hezbollah and Iran and Hamas and Al Qaeda <laughs> could all buy shares in America. They could all buy shares, and then they could try to They're influence. They're probably our better, better
1: able to afford it.
0: <laughs> well, people who have cash can afford it. Uh, one of the objections, because I've had this idea for over 20 years, one of the objections has, uh, for a long time, it wouldn't be coming up today, but would, well, what if Bill Gates bought all the shares? Now, here's the funny thing. The U- uh, America, Inc. would be worth over $100 trillion. Bill Gates has about $100 billion. So basically, Bill Gates, if he sold all of his shares and everything, he wouldn't get $100 billion. Um, but he would... Basically, he would get maybe twenty, thirty billion dollars, so he could buy, um, you know, less than one thousandth of uh, of the of the United States. So he could buy one tenth of one percent. The richest man in the world could buy one tenth of one percent. Well, right now, you can control a certain strategic sector um, if Hillary Clinton gets elected just by giving a donation to the Clinton Foundation. So it's very, very cheap and easy to buy influence in a certain area and the whole idea of having america inc is that it would be extremely uh, difficult if not impossible and as you are trying to buy shares as you are trying to accumulate a big position you would be raising the value of everybody else's shares right now when somebody just bribes a politician it doesn't help anyone it's a zero-sum game right. what one person gains another loses this is a positive sum game that where to get more influence you have to buy more shares and to buy more shares is to give wealth to everybody who's a shareholder. And in the beginning, that would be
1: every citizen of the United States. So, um, so now, I think, who, who would this, who, who would, so where would the money go? So let's say, so it goes to the U S as a corporation.
0: Yes, it goes to America Inc. Well, the U S actually is a corporation. It's uh, registered in Delaware. Um, Now, people say, oh, well, that's just for convenience in contracts and stuff, but the fact remains that the U.S. is already a corporation. It just happens to be a private corporation, not a publicly traded corporation, Mm, and that means it doesn't have to use the highest standards of accounting. Because imagine if the U.S. government had to hold itself to the same standards of accounting for pensions and for everything else, and everybody could see everything that we could see with a public company. And it was all in the same language and same numbers. And you, you know, if you defrauded some numbers, you went to jail. That would be awesome. That would be amazing. Yeah. And if yeah. the United States government didn't like a corporation or it found that it was doing, engaged in wrongdoing, it could simply go in and buy its shares and take it over. So, for instance, let's just say that, that it, um, there's a large corporation that had an oil spill. Well, it could go in acquire 51% simply by swapping shares, and then it could uh, fire the board of directors and replace them with somebody new. And it could do that in one week instead of having, I mean, has anybody at BP been really held accountable personally? No. Have they lost their jobs? Have they lost their pensions? So I think that we have to be able to take immediate action at a time when corporations are employing hundreds of thousands of mercenaries. I mean, there are mercenaries right now in Syria. There are mercenaries right now in Iraq. These are part of what we're supposedly fighting at, but we don't have the tools to to deal with them. There's a guy named Stafford Beer, another one named Ross Ashby, who looked at cybernetics, the science of effective control. And if you have a system, um, that system has a number of states it can have. So let's say a light bulb can be on or off, and it can be on while broken or off while broken. So it's got four states. To manage or control a light bulb, you have to have more than four states. So the basic idea is only variety can manage variety. And the United States government cannot deal with so many problems because it's not exponentially increasing its variety, the number of different states, the number of ways it can manifest itself in the world to control things. And so I think ultimately – and I call this whole philosophy equitocracy, government by owners – government by equity holders, um, because I think a vote is too crude an instrument. It's the equivalent of trying to make things with stone flint axes or with bare hands. I think we need a, a much more deft instrument to acquire things in a world controlled by corporations.
1: Yeah, and I, 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 saw, I, I was thinking yesterday, I was writing a bunch of political posts and comments and I was really engaging with it yesterday. And one thing I was thinking is, Jesus, like it's so hard just trying to pick one person to vote for, pick one person to put my my energy behind. I said, it, it, it's so much easier for me to pick one person, like the one per- person that I would least want there, right? Like that would be a right. much easier way for me to vote would be well, to pick the person I want there least. And so you know, there was one person that... What? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. There was one person that posted on one of my comments that um, I, I I liked one thing he said. I ended up blocking him, but there was one thing that he said that I really liked. And he he said, look, I don't trust the people of the United States to cast the right vote. He said, I'm glad we don't actually live in a democracy. That it's a representative democracy. He said, "Because I don't, I don't trust people to, to to vote for the right thing. They just don't know. They're not informed. And and like you said earlier, when I was talking to you before the show, is that a lot of people vote with um, vote by their emotions, right? It's not a long-term strategy. It's not based on evidence or uh, a plan, right? It's just based on emotion. And that's how most people are voting right now, and." He was talking about other countries or times in history where the best and the brightest, the philosophers, uh, were the ones that were making the rules and making the laws and that these were the people that were being consulted, right? And so I think that's another thing is that these people need to be consulted. We need to come up with the best and the brightest the futurists, right, the people that are actually paying attention to make this happen, right? Because if we look at it, he right But, know, by, but equi-
0: the idea of equitocracy is something has a radically different proposition. And it says that anyone at any moment
1: can be, mine can be
0: purchased, can be bribed. So we know this. We now know that people can be bribed. We also know, we could take these as axioms, that when people get powerful enough, when they've allowed themselves to be bribed enough that they cannot be put in jail, it doesn't matter what they do. And the key thing is that there's a the core of the United States is that it, we're a republic, and the core of a republic is that you enforce laws evenly, that everybody's treated the same under the eyes of the law. The idea that's the reason justice is blind. So justice is blind because she's not looking mm, at what they're right. wearing. And what your shoes are and how fancy your car is. It's like you're going to be treated the same way. But when the head of the FBI says if other people did what Hillary Clinton did, they wouldn't be treated the same way. The game is up. It's over. We're no longer a republic. And so now I see that as being being something that's worthy of a quote from Robert O. Anderson, who is the chairman of Atlantic Richfield. And he's the person who created the Green Party that exists today because he sent his assistant, Petra Kelly, to create the Green Party in Germany for the sole purpose of destroying the nuclear industry in Germany and a united Europe. He he foresaw that, and so that was its mission. And he's actually pretty much accomplished that in Germany, and it will soon be done in in Europe. That was the the, the oil industry origin of the Green Party, believe it or not. So he said... Those who are not managing their assets to reflect their true value are inviting someone else to do it for them. So we now have entered into uncharted territory in the United States where we are not enforcing the laws evenly. So I don't believe anymore that it's about experts or uh, or philosophers. I believe what we have to do is have shares and we have to have uh, an informed citizenry of owners who are voting on big things using their shares, using online means. So in Korea and Japan, over 90% of the personal share trades are done on mobile phones. There's no reason that we can't use that same system to vote our shares. So for instance, should we, somebody proposes who has a, you know, a sufficient means um, that we should end the U.S. embargo of Cuba... And one week from today, we're all going to vote our shares and whether we should end the embargo of Cuba. And boom, 54 years of screwing around and not doing it and changing the goalposts <laughs> and doing all that, it's over. It's done, right? right. Do we agree? Or uh, Donald Trump makes a statement, we should ban all Muslims that have this and this and this. So he now has the public forum, so we say, okay, and we all go on and we vote it. Or should we build a wall? Boom, we vote it. The idea that we're going to go and have a one-year campaign debating all this stuff, and then maybe the politician will do it or maybe he won't, right. is, is absurd. And I'll give you one example from Barack Obama. Barack Obama campaigned in the Senate on ending the U.S. embargo of Cuba. And yet, every year, 2009, 2010, on through last year, every September, he sat down and he signed an executive order to... Implement the embargo for one more year. Now, what does that mean? It means that we treat Cuba like Nazi Germany during wartime. If you trade with Cuba, without your special exception, it's trading with the enemy. You can be put in jail for 10 years and you can have a $250,000 fine. There are 43 medicines in Cuba that we do not sell in the United States. And there are people who've been on trial for going and trying to save a, a dying family member. And they don't care yeah. if they go to jail for 10 years or get a fine. But in what way is that recognizing the First Amendment, the right to freedom of assembly? Freedom of assembly means you get together with people. You can do things. There's nothing in the U.S. Constitution that allows you to ban somebody because here's the thing. It's the Trading with the Enemy Act, and Cuba is not an enemy, according to the right. Defense information act and if we thought they're an enemy why was obama going there and giving big speeches to mass crowds and shaking hands with everybody that's not how you treat an enemy so there's so many lies and my point is we can no longer trust our politicians and we have to have direct voting but with your permission let's start going through the list
1: or else we won't we won't get through it Great. i was thinking the same thing let me say one last thing Sure, uh, to complete what I was saying before. So, sure. I was saying we need a futurist, right? Somebody like you who has seen the future, who is usually right about the future and has has put the pieces together, right? So now if we look at our two candidates right now, we've got Hillary and we've got Trump, right? Trump clearly is responding and, and making policy, or at least talking about policy based on emotions, right? It's an emotional reaction. Now Hillary has, she has created a lot of plans and said a lot of things, but we've all noticed that she flip-flops a lot. She has one opinion, and then a couple years later, she has another opinion based on, either the popularity contest or uh, whoever's funding her campaign at the time, right? Or whoever's writing the checks, right? And so she changes her mind a lot, not necessarily based on what's best for everything or everybody, but based on, like I said, popularity or money. And so I'm excited. So this is the the context that I want to set up to hold everything that you're saying right now that is so genius. There's so much content in here. There's so much context in here. There's so much good stuff for all of us to take away from here. So that's just one thing. And then at some point, Alex, uh, I really would love to have you give the people, give our listeners those three things that they could do right now to have a massive impact on our political system because it, people are feeling so helpless and people are feeling like we have no control and we've been let down. And so uh, those three things would be really helpful, I feel.
0: Sure. We'll, yeah, we can do that. So um, I guess the first time. thing, the, okay, so the first thing to do of the list of three things is to read the book Clean Disruption of Energy and Transportation by. The Stanford lecture, Tony Seba, "Clean Disruption of Energy and Transportation" by Tony Seba, S.E.B.A. The subtitle is very provocative: "How Silicon Valley will make oil, nuclear, natural gas, coal, electric utilities, and conventional cars obsolete by 2030." Uh, Seba says that solar is gr- uh, getting cheaper and cheaper every year. Will soon be cheaper than anything, everything else. He calls that God parity. There's something called grid parity. When is solar going to be as cheap as coal, is nuclear, all these things. God parity is when it's cheaper to have your own solar on your building than it is to transmit it. So the average cost for uh, electricity in the United States last year was $0.14 cents a kilowatt hour. And that was $0.07 cents for generation and $0.07 for transmission and distribution. SEBA's point is when you have solar that's on-site with financing and stuff so that's less than $0.07 a kilowatt hour, it's over. There is no business for the traditional electric utilities, and therefore there's, it doesn't matter whether you're producing with nuclear or natural gas or coal, and only Saudi Arabia on a big scale produces electricity with oil, and they use 25% of their oil just for their own domestic electricity, which is insane, um, but in the U.S., there's no model for using that for electricity. Electricity is about one-third of our energy usage, so we have two-thirds. That's mostly oil and mostly for transportation, but when you have batteries and you have electric vehicles, and are char- those are charged up with solar, and you have self-driving cars, you have a collapse of the oil uh, of the automobile industry. So, last year, there are about 72 million cars produced. By 2030, it will be six to eight million a year because each self-driving car replaces 15 uh, non-self-driving cars. And so Tesla uh, is not a, its not going to meet the goals that Elon Musk has set. He has said, "Oh, it's going to increase by 50 percent a year, uh, and it's going to be worth over 700 billion dollars by you know the late 2020s." But that's impossible. Because you just don't need as many cars when you can have car as a service, right? right. Just like you don't sell as many computers or s- servers if you can use cloud computing and you don't, you have everything virtualized. So the combination of solar, batteries, uh, electric vehicles, and self-driving cars will get us to 2030. Now, here's the rub. It's going that way anyway, but we should have a president say we're going to do that. And then we can stop this this silliness, this idiocracy of Mitt Romney saying, I love coal, and Trump saying, oh, yeah, we have to keep people drilling. Well, the, it's almost as if a person who's in the real estate business, I'm going to criticize Trump for a second here, has never heard of this thing called amortization, where you go and you pay something, but you borrow money and you're going to be paying for it over the lifetime of the you know of the of the the useful economic lifetime of the project. So if you're drilling and you think your well is going to last you for very long, that uh, or your refinery is going to last you, there will be no demand for oil in the United States after 2030. And anybody running for president should start with that because we have to transition all of those coal workers. All of those oil workers, all of those natural gas workers, nuclear workers—we have to transition them out of that industry and prepare for them. And we have to transition the auto companies and the traditional public utilities. These are dead men walking. In a game, there's a game called Titanfall, uh, and it—when your Titan has taken so much damage, it's going to blow up. That you get this signal on your screen that says "doomed Titan," and you have to eject or else it'll kill you when it blows up. <laughs> all these industries are predictably doomed titans, and all that can happen in is that people years. can delay it. In 14 years, it's done. So the first thing is read Clean Disruption of Energy and Transportation. See Siba's um, logic, and he's spoken all over the world, um, in part because of me posting on Facebook. There, uh, there's over $30 trillion worth of capital that's been exposed to Tony's ideas. So I posted about this, and I I gave the
1: book a quote. It's amazing. Yeah,
0: that's pretty amazing. Okay, second thing, have wireless broadband internet available for everybody on Earth and have free education. So every basic course, every science course, chemistry course, art history course there, and have it be available to be translated in every language that has more than a few thousand speakers and give that to the whole world. And by the way, this is something that I presented to the White House, and they said, well, what would AT&T think of that? So the key right. thing is that you have um, information that's private, you have information that's shared, and you have it that's common. I believe if we said as a minimum human right, you should have wireless broadband internet in all courses, that this is proverbially the, the, the low-hanging fruit for raising and upgrading the competence of humanity. Now one of the the real failures of the Obama administration is productivity. I don't know if if, you know I'm I'm a little older than you, but we used to be really concerned about productivity and people would say, Oh, well what's our productivity? And you know, what's our national productivity? Is it is it three percent a year, is it four percent? During the Obama administration, our productivity has been at a miserable one point two percent. And if you read books like How the West Grew Rich, it's very clear that the number that, that there's two numbers that matter more than anything. One is the average rate of return, which in many cases also turns out to be the average rate of interest. And the other, and, and by the way, that's been about one percent through history. So you know, the average rate of return. Like economic growth, it's, it's basically one percent for the West for the past few hundred years. But if you get a rare society that can really increase its productivity, As Japan did, 10% a year after World War II for several decades. Then that's how you build wealth. Japan was as poor as Chile right after the war. I mean, it was a a few hundred dollars per person per year. Their industrial base had been destroyed, and the U.S. had 50% of the world's GDP with, you know, with let's say 5% of the world's population. I mean, it was 10 times the average. It was incredible. We bestrode the world like a colossus, as Shakespeare said about Julius Caesar so we want to increase productivity and the way to increase productivity is to provide education and so these courses already exist and the bandwidth can be provided almost free we should be handing it out to everyone because the more sophisticated people are the more likely they are to be customers for American information and entertainment so that's it. Now, the third thing is, how do you pay for all these things? Well, the third thing is make massive cuts in the U.S. military intelligence budget and audit the mercenary contracts to basically make sure that yeah. the U.S. isn't paying for things. Now, here's the thing. I call them – these. they say that there are these six great hoaxes, and one of the hoaxes is defense, that this is a defense department. It used to be called in the quotes. Department of War, and it should still be called the Department of War. But it should have another name, an oil transport security. So the vast majority of the U.S. budget is unfunded security for oil tankers. There are over 100,000 miles of oil tanker routes that are all over the world, and the U.S. pays for them. This is why we have a 1,000 bases. This is why we have such a big navy. We don't have competitors who can go in and attack our homeland. Um, What we have is an oil industry that has very cleverly and fiendishly fooled the American public into paying for their oil tankers to be uh, taken care of by the US military. And I just have to ask, well, why isn't China paying for this? Like Donald Trump is asking for NATO members to pay more. Why isn't China or Japan or or Europe paying for all the security of the oil tankers? And this is the interesting thing, this is the world after clean disruption. When you look ahead and you see the future like Tony Siba does or like I do, what you see is a world in which there is no need for any oil tanker and therefore there's no need for the US to have a thousand military bases worldwide because who's going to intercept the sun? The photons from the sun coming to us and powering (laughs) up our nearly all-electric infrastructure. So the military can be collapsed in size and without really any difference into America's true authentic defense. And if you look at where the spending is, here's a quick thing, and this is the kind of America that you'll have the average person instead of an exceptional person. Like this statement now is known by maybe one in a thousand people, but in the future it should be known by 99 out of 100 who are going to vote their shares. The military budget is roughly half for weapons and things and systems, and half for people and The part of the budget for people is half for the people who are there now and about half for our retirees and of that you know the people who are who are people who are not in service but basically still paid uh, you know they 're right. getting military pensions and when I say retirees right. I, I have to correct myself because they're, if you 're in the military. For 20 years, let's say you went in at 18, you're quote unquote retired and you're getting a flow of payments from age 38. And I would just say WTF, I mean, that's absurd. There's no, that has nothing to do with defense. That's just this enormous unfunded liability when you say, oh, but you have to protect vets. It's like, so you had a desk job, I'm just speaking of desk job people here, for 20 years and then you go on to work at another desk job, but somehow... You're going to live potentially to 100, so the American taxpayer should pay 62 years extra because you happen to sit at a desk you know, that's a few blocks away from that other desk in this one building. It doesn't make any sense. Yes, pay people a lump sum for combat uh, as long as we need soldiers and we don't have robots to do it or autonomous planes, but in general, absolutely ruthlessly prune labor out of it because the cost, the net present value of the cost of a person in the military is just too high to be sustainable for the United States. It makes no sense to be borrowing money from China just to go and pay people for you know what amounts to 60 years of not working. It doesn't make any sense. So there's lots of right. cuts that can be made. And there's one other thing about the intelligence department. Why do we have 17 intelligence agencies, and how do we know they're not working for different corporations? I mean, they don't seem to get anything right. Did they predict the fall right. of Iran? No. Did they predict the fall of the Soviet Union? No. Did they predict the the uh, the rise of ISIS? Actually, the CIA funded ISIS. So, in in what way is that a central intelligence agency? I mean what is their They're not mission? really
1: good at stopping the terrorist attacks either. But they're
0: but they're but they my point is that they funded them. The com, the the entity yeah, that most Americans hate, ISIS, they funded it. So who's held accountable yeah. for that? There's a point at which if you have you cell growth like your cells grow, it's good, right? It's healthy. You don't want your cells to go senescent and die. But if you have cells that grow out of control and can't be managed, that's called cancer. And so we've long since reached the stage where these entities have their own, their own will, their own missions that have nothing to do with the good of the United States. Um, fourth, the fourth point is the end of U.S. government involvement in the illegal drug business. So most people have heard, who, who pay attention, have heard the statistic that after we um, defeated, more or less, the Taliban in Afghanistan, that, uh, that uh, production of poppies and, heroin, uh, increased over 6,000 percent. And this in Cirlik, um air, air base in Turkey, uh, I'm probably pronou- mispronouncing that. Um, I haven't heard it spoken out loud. Uh, it, it would basically, is supposed to be a transshipment point for a lot of these products. And so that's partly why it's, it's a problem that the Turks have surrounded the base and they're investigating and so on. And we know that lots of people who are in Vietnam set up the heroin supply routes to the United States. So to actually say, have the president go out, have a press conference and say, the U.S. will not be involved in the illegal drug business and anybody involved in drugs will be treated exactly the same. Now, when I say the illegal drug business, I actually believe in the legalization of drugs, but then let everybody compete in that business and not just the government. But the idea that you want to make drugs illegal but allow the government to participate in them is absurd. It's, it's the government being uh, an extractive class rather than being of service. Um, another thing that I would do, number five, is I would ban fracking. And this puts me at odds with Hillary Clinton and with Donald Trump. And here's the problem. Um, unlike Hillary Clinton and unlike Donald Trump, I worked for the pioneer in fracking, Mitchell Energy and Development um, which is eventually bought by Devon Energy, but they were the pioneers. And fracking uses these big bags of, of chemicals. They're powders. And when we go over to a drilling site, imagine a forest. Then imagine you chop down a football field-sized area of trees, and then you make a giant what's called a mud pit. It's really a toxic chemical giant thing. Imagine something you know, the size of a football field where nothing will ever grow again. And the drilling mud that's part of fracking has over 500 chemicals in it. And the EPA is a fake. It's a fraud. It's a sham because it only tracks 13 chemicals. Now, I'm not saying, you know, just uh, wipe out the EPA, which has been a Republican request. I'm saying if you're going to say you're tracking chemicals, find out what tracks all the chemicals the chemical. are in fracking and track every single one of them. Because the idea that you can only track 13 chemicals, but then say, oh, this water is safe for drinking, is simply fraud. And I don't understand why there aren't more lawsuits about it. But the fact that both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump are in favor of fracking, even though this happens, says to me that they're poorly advised. Or they just don't care if Americans have chemicals. Um, The sixth thing is the U.S. and NATO and allies demand secular governments. No atheist governments. Well, you know, communist governments where, where religion is prohibited, but also no theocracies. So if Turkey becomes a theocracy or the head of state is saying all these things that he's promoting Islam, then Turkey isn't a part of NATO and the U.S. isn't trying to assist countries that are theocracies. And I say this because we are relentlessly trying to destroy the government of Syria it's a secular government, and what will replace it will be a theocracy if we succeed in getting rid of him, and the Christians and the others who are there are going to be wiped out, and we're going to be part of genocide. This is one of Hillary Clinton's goals. So I believe that the United States should give no foreign aid to any nation that is not a secular government like us. Um, so also, I think that we should be actively opposed to creeping Sharia. People say Sharia law, but you don't need to say law. It's, it's redundant. I think that the U.S. should promote a secular government. And the, the particular issue with Islam is that uh, it's not just a religion. It's also a, a military system. It's a government system. It's a legal system, a judicial system. And it's even a, uh, a, travel, a travel guidance system. You know, you must go and make the hajj once each year. You must get on a plane, a boat, whatever, go to this place. So it's not only a religion. It's many things all put together. It's combining, you know, a religion with politics, with law, with government, with business, with telling you how to take your wealth and what to, you know, who to give to what to. It's more than just a religion. And I think that we have to have a safe public sphere for, for many different ideas. Why? It's very simple because that's what increases productivity. That's what increases wealth. That's what enables us to have progress of civilization. And people seem to have forgotten that. And if there's something that impedes the ability for people to learn or draw or paint or sing or wear what clothes they want, then those places that are productive need to fight those places that are not that productive um, because otherwise eventually there's – we won't have the freedoms that we enjoy that make us productive and intelligent. Um, so eight, basically active efforts to get Islamic and other nations and US states to reform laws and cultures so that cousin marriage, female genital mutilation, and marriage and sexual age of consent um, below 18 and rape is discouraged and punished. So the idea is that we should actively seek to ban female genital mutilation. There's no medical reason in favor of it. It's not in the Quran. it's not religious, it's it's a primitive thing that amounts to saying torture. It is torture and it is against human rights. And marriage below the age of 18 and consent below the age of 18 is meant to keep uh, predators from going after young women. And I'll put a dollar cost on this. We don't have infinite money to waste on repairing broken women who have been raped as children. So one, uh, 30 to 40% of all girls in the United States are raped, and it's typically by someone that they know. 95% yeah, and I, think,
1: I think this is something that we deal with a lot, so I could talk a lot about this. I could do a whole episode about this. and. I think well, then the I'll number did, is I'll 2. I'll
0: just give I'll give two or two or three sentences and then please do, do talk about this. We have time. So I just want to give the point of the cost and here is here's the, the, how things connect. You know, the knee bone connects to the, to the leg bone and all that. A woman is raped or molested by a trusted family member as a child. She has post-traumatic stress disorder. She has PTSD. She has suicidal ideation. She may be killed. 95% of children who are murdered are murdered by a family member or a neighbor, typically because the person has raped them. And then they are worried that the, that the child will tell, so they'll kill them. And we have to simply identify and, and have this part of our society ended we have to end it. Because let's just say even if a woman survives, she has mental health issues, suicidal ideation, as I said. And by the way, suicide is twice as common in the United States as homicide. So we look, think about all the murders we have, it's twice as many people kill themselves. And in many cases, it's because they were raped. Now, it also makes it much more likely that someone will become a drug user. So most drug addicts, and there are 40.3 million addicts in America, have been raped at some point below the age of 18. We have to make this a no-go zone, a no-tolerance zone. And the last thing about that is the um, marrying your cousin. There are too many incidences of inbreeding causing mental illness and uh, and health uh, effects and handicaps, and this makes a person much more likely to be recruitable or radicalized and being willing to strap on a suicide bomber vest. So there's some evidence that that people who are suicide bombers are, have a much higher incidence of mental illness and or physical handicap. And cousin marriages are when they're the go-to thing, where they're the norm, like for instance in Pakistan, is creating a very, very violent, horrific culture and it's, you know, it's one of those things that we want to end. We want people to be educated and get to the age of 18 and be able to choose their own uh, husband or wife. And we want them to not be killed in an honor killing because they're not uh, accepted by parents. And this is a norm that we should push. So if if you want to say some things about, you know, molestation and how it affects people, please, if you think it's more than 30 percent, I'm all ears.
1: Yeah, I definitely think it's more than more than uh, the, the stats that show, because first of all, m- most of the people that we have worked with uh, don't, they, they never reported it. They never report it in the first place. They didn't tell anybody about it. They didn't even, re- a lot of them don't even remember it until they're in their adult life, right? And the statute of limitations has passed. And even those who at some point did go and report it. To the police station, they're either laughed at, they're turned away, they're uh, yeah. happening, right? Yeah, this is a huge epidemic, and it does, it, like you said, it does play into her adult life. It, it sticks with her forever until she's able to get rid of it somehow, right, which is what we help a lot of women do. Um, right, and I think and far that we are... Sorry, go ahead. Let me finish real quick. So as far as female genital mutilation goes, so we are in cahoots with a company called Clitorade, and uh, it's a doctor, uh, Dr. Bowers, who she helps women that have uh, experienced female genital mutilation, and there are several different levels of female genital mutilation, but the worst, the worst level is where they'll actually... Cut the uh, the glands of the, the clitoris off and sew up the labia, right? So there's only a little a little hole uh, for for blood to to come out of, right? And that's it. So she can't have sex, she can't orgasm, right? It's all it's all it's impossible for her, and um, you know, so they can repair they can repair the uh, the damage actually to the, the physical body so that she actually can orgasm again. But uh, orgasm is still 90% in the head, right? It's, um, you know, even women that have not experienced female genital mutilation, still a lot of them have a, a hard time orgasming, right? We've worked, we've worked with a lot of women that, have never had an orgasm in their entire life. So anyway, I'm getting off topic because this is something that that is really, really, I'm I'm passionate about. And so I love that you brought that up as part of the presidential agenda. I mean, this does need to be addressed.
0: the, the, the The president of the United States has enormous influence on the rest of the world. And I cannot take anyone seriously as saying they care about women and women's rights if they yes, are not exactly. speaking out relentlessly, and I mean putting teeth on that and saying if you 're a nation that is engaging in female genital mutilation, we see you as torturing people, and we have we 're willing to contemplate having assassins who will take you out if you 're allowing that to happen in your nation you 're on notice' one year practice
1: not here it happens in the u s too it actually does, but happen those people in the US who do that
0: happens. need to have. They need to to be kicked out of the country at the very
1: least. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I just think Absolutely. that. that and, this, and this is this is one thing that I wanted to say while you were talking about Sharia, is you know, I I feel like there's an easy way to separate Sharia, uh, you know, cracking down on Sharia and cracking down on Muslims, right? Because, like you said, Sharia isn't just uh, I forget it's exactly what you said. But it's not just religion. Right. It's not just religion. It's it's, it's a, a military system that, also it's the military system, it's, it's all these things, right? So it's easy to say, or it's easy to notice if uh, you said there was like a, a travel schedule where they have to travel somewhere uh, every so yeah, often, Yeah, it's right? travel coordination so it's, guidance.
0: It's not, that's, what's religious yeah. about that? That's it's yeah, exactly. other so stuff. It would be it's mixed up, Americans that are say, unable to separate out what, it, what relates to God and worshiping in the privacy of your own home or your own mosque or your own temple or your own church or whatever and what you're doing that affects other people including killing them you have to separate those exactly. things out and we have to so be able like to say just, well
1: I feel like you've cool, figured out the difference between banning all muslims from the US and saying okay here are the identifiers to look for with sharia right they're going to be traveling to this place they're going to be speaking about these specific things, right? And then taking well, those people I, I, I'm, I'm out c- immediately. I'm just saying that
0: we have to say this is what a secular nation stands for. And you must simply... Ad- You must agree that the United States, you understand that the U.S. is a secular nation, and you will not try to replace our laws with your combination of legal and military code, which would lead to a, a, a very bloody civil war in the United States. That is the responsibility of the president to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. Systems that say that they are the law, the ultimate law, and they are above all other laws, are by definition things that are threats to the U.S. Constitution, and we should say that. Absolutely. And by the way, let's just look at what the world has done. So Islam had a 1,500-year head start over the U.S. Constitution. Okay, so all the people can see it. They know what it is. And a total of 58 countries have adopted some portion of the Quran for their law. Okay, well, over 160 nations have adopted the U.S. Constitution as their model, according to Blaustein in the Constitutions of the World. So the world has already voted that they would rather have the U.S. Constitution than Sharia. And we need to be willing uh, to right. say these things and say, look, we, people have already voted. You had 1,700 years or 1,400 years to go out and proselytize the world, and you know you have this portion of the world that wants it. But this world, and we have to say this, What happens to the Muslim world and the Islamic world after oil and natural gas in 14 years are no longer going to be used by the world? Now, Muslim nations have had an incredible gift. They had an incredible present. And let's just say Allah exists, and Allah gave them this as a gift. Okay? So Allah wanted them to have a special advantage. He gave Muslims half of the natural gas, and he gave them two-thirds of all the oil reserves. Well, great. Okay, but Allah also wants them to figure out other things besides using oil and natural gas. And so that's where there's not much evidence of that happening. So I'm doing my best to work with people in the Muslim world to invest in technology and to have an understanding of that because you cannot build a a diverse economy with oil, gas, and real estate. So uh, now I'm moving on to number nine right now. So number nine is this is not all just oh my god Muslims are bad or something. There are things within Islam that are good and that which could be good for the world. And so the idea here, and this is how I've described it to my Muslim friends, and yes, I do have close Muslim friends, is that we trade (laughs) the three for three. You know, no cousin marriage, no, you know, basically having the age of consent and the age of marriage be 18, no sex slaves. No, you know, no impregnation of sex slaves, right? Those are the three big ones to get out of Islam in my mind. But what we give in return is to say that Islam puts an emphasis on equity instead of debt. I absolutely agree. And equitocracy is very, very um, um, Sharia compliant, finance friendly. So you would, I would actually say yes. We should actively say that we respect Muslims and that we want to implement their system. Of not having debt and having equity instead. Um, and the other thing is that there's an emphasis on giving 2.5% of one's wealth to the poor. Now, every single U.S. senator has a trust, and a trust requires you to give away some of the assets, but I mean, come on. Bill Gates Trust has coal industry stuff, and it has newspapers, and it has Coca Cola. You know, it, it basically, there's nothing about it that's really charitable. It just, if, unless you consider fattening up Mexicans being part of charity because Bill Gates is the largest promoter of Coca-Cola in Latin America and where you have this skyrocketing obesity and a cessation of increases in life expectancy. Okay, yeah. number 10, we have a lot of talk about basic minimum income. It's almost as if nobody's taken an economics course and heard about this thing called inflation. So you have certain goods that if you gave away money, would, would, their price would rise What we want to do is to say we provide all those things that can have zero marginal cost of production and have those freely available. So all information, communication, bandwidth, et cetera. And then the government subsidy is on a device that gets you those things. So there's more and more substitutes for things online. And I think, for instance, that a basic minimum income could include a certain budget per month to take um, a shared travel service, car as a service, like Uber or Lyft, or whatever. So give people phones. Everybody should have a smartphone. everybody should have bandwidth, everybody should have education communication, and some level of transportation. And then that you know that can be done in in return for tax credits or something else. Um, okay, I think that there's a a clear differentiation with respect to genetic modification between we should be separating and have a different code. So, there's, the people who are supporting GMOs are playing a little silly, cute game where they're pretending. They say, oh, but we modified cows and dogs and all that. No, there is no cross kingdom mutation in nature. A bacteria does not swap genetic material and, and have it, like, bacteria doesn't get married to a plant and have a plant bacteria baby. A human doesn't marry a plant and have a human plant baby. They're different kingdoms, and when you cross kingdoms, which is what when you put Bacillus thuringiensis, when you have BT tobacco, BT corn, you're, you're creating something that would never exist in nature no matter what you did. So I think that we have to have – we should say that there isn't any cross-kingdom genetic modification that's put out there um, unless – you sign the kind of liability or bond for things that could go wrong, and you put up a bond for it. And this is, by the way, why nuclear industry is a giant hoax. It's not one of the six great hoaxes, but it's a hoax, because there has never been a nuclear power plant that is paid for its own liability insurance. It's always paid for by government, which means it's paid for by the taxpayer through the intermediary of a politician who took a bribe and sold out people. Because you don't need to put an entire area at risk, like 1,400 miles of Ukraine, because of Chernobyl's meltdown. Um, you know, so, and then number 12, much higher standards for legal immigration to the U.S. You have to have a high school um, degree for, that, we, that we accept as being from a valuable university and take a test and test in English and if you want to make it Spanish as an official language, well great, take the test in Spanish or English. But as of right now, Spanish is not an official language. And I also think that there should be a cost um of a hundred thousand dollars to become an American citizen. You have to pay a hundred thousand. I if you want to borrow it, well borrow it. But you there's no reason for us to give away citizenship for free when there's a hundred yeah, times that's as many people in, Costa coming Rica. in.
1: In what Costa Rica, is you have to pay a hundred or more, $1,000. You have to keep a certain amount of money in your bank, like a lot of money in the bank. And you have to spend a lot in the economy wow. every, uh, every year.
0: Oh, um, tell us of the course, numbers.
1: How, how much do you have to keep in the bank? Jen and I are doing it a different way. Uh, if you have okay. a child in Costa Rica, you get residency for uh, free. So we'll, oh. we'll have residency in about eight months. And oh. our child <laughs> will have dual citizenship. Our child will How be a exciting. citizen of Costa Rica and, and the U.S. Yeah. Okay. But the problem – It's pretty tough. It's pretty tough to get residency or citizenship here. Okay. Well, it
0: makes sense because you don't want the whole world flooding the place. So um, exactly. you want to have people have some level of, of skin in the game. And I think if people are paying $100,000 – and keep in mind, this is all part of equitocracy, that you want to increase the value of America, Inc. You want to enrich everybody. So if the revenue of the United States includes $100,000 to come in, then everybody who's an immigrant is making everybody else richer. And so imagine how much respect and affection we would have for immigrants. Oh, you came in? Awesome. You made me richer. yoo We love you. Yeah, immigrants. Come on, baby. Come on over. And also – there should be an immediate ban on paying churches to bring in refugees. So they're basically uh, – this is like how are these guys different from coyotes? The coyotes and the snake – they call them coyotes in Mexico and snakeheads in China. So the churches have become coyotes and snakeheads. They go and they find people from Somalia where there's no rule of law, no nothing in common with people in the U.S., and they're not refugees in the sense that there's a political government a dictator that's going to kill them you know if, because they're 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 writing and speaking and giving speeches against that government just that you know they simply want to get out of that hellhole well the whole world is a hellhole in part of in, in part because of sharia and in part because of communism and in part because of of really awful systems which I don't want people to come here and infect the Americans with their mind viruses. That it, it isn't diversity. We came and struggled for 200,000 years to have order and peace and stability, and there's no reason for us to give it up for nothing because, of some, because political parties want to uh, stuff the ballot boxes biologically. Um, so Yeah, people uh, 13, in the U.S.
1: have their own mind viruses to deal with right now.
0: Yes. So uh, number 13, outlaw U.S. bombing of water and sewage and make reparations where we've done this. We bombed the water and sewage systems of Libya and Syria and Iraq, and we need to pay them, and we need to put people in jail. We must make it a war crime, an immediate war crime with the pilots and the people who gave the orders. If you bomb someone's water and sewage, you are going to go to jail, and you might be executed. And any politician who did this, and this includes Hillary Clinton – uh, should go on trial. We should accede to the Statute of Rome and go to the International Criminal Court. And the idea that we're, that Obama is going to go to a conference because we're taking in 10,000 Syrian refugees when we bomb the water supply for millions of Syrians, it's the height of hypocrisy. And anybody who doesn't have a problem with that, after hearing about it, there, there's something wrong with them. Uh, and I have 14, accede to the Statute of Rome and make U.S. public officials subject to the International Criminal Court. Um, 15 bring suit via the ICC against George W. Bush, Dick Cheney, Barack Obama, and Hillary Clinton for war crimes and drone assassinations. Make sure they get fair trials, fair even jury trials. And we have to, the American people accept the verdicts, whether they're innocent or guilty. So we stop this bickering about, well, George Bush is a war criminal or whatever. Okay, let's let's give him a trial. Let's learn about all the evidence, pro and con. Let them make their best defense. They're going to have the best lawyers in the world defending them. And make the because it's what matters is not Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama or George Bush. It, what matters is the truth. What matters is justice. You know, let justice yeah. happen, whether even if the sky falls, um, make the U.S. a paragon of lawfulness and set an example for the rest of the world to do that. Then we don't have to go over and a- attack these countries to try to bring their, their leaders to justice. So, for instance, we're spending all this time and money, and we're creating al-Qaeda in Iraq, which becomes ISIS that we funded. Hillary Clinton gave these, them and their ilk $45 million. Rather than us doing that, we basically let the International Criminal Court do that, and then we don't have to be spending so much on our military. Uh, 16, end the U.S. embargo of Cuba and pay reparations to the Cuban government. But we get a military and intelligence alliance, so, that Cuba is no longer available as a base for Russia and China, and its spies are no longer deployed against the U.S. Because, by the way, Cuba has a very good intelligence service. I mean, they've had to, to keep, you know, they've always known when things are coming, and they make their records available. So, we would know about what Iran has been doing, what China's been doing, what the Soviet Union was doing. We would know what North Korea is doing, and all these other rogue states. They would give us their records. That's more valuable. Cuban intelligence is more valuable, I would argue, than any one of the 17 U.S. intelligence agencies, at least for the three months to six months after we made that deal. I don't know why we wouldn't do it. And also, we have to end this BS of all the U.S. claims for property in Cuba, because what we have to have to have to be something that's not a fake superpower is to have consistency in our legal reasoning. So in Israel, the Europeans took a fully furnished nation. Um, by saying, "Oh my God, they're coming to kill us." Well, just leave your houses for for one night, you know, and then come back to them. People moved in. People moved in all over Israel and took apartments. They didn't pay for it. And so, if you're a Palestinian, you can't come to the U.S. and go to court in Miami, federal court, and say, "Yeah, there's this there's this Israeli dude who took my home and didn't pay for it," and then have that court say, "Oh, well, yeah, great. Here, that's your home." that's your property, and then put sanctions on Israel to do that. We don't do that, but we do that for Cubans who come to Miami and claim, oh yeah, I had this giant 1,000 acre property. And even congressmen and congresswomen in Florida have done this. If you take all of the property claims made by Cubans in federal court in Miami and you add up the total acreage of the total square miles, it exceeds the total land area of Cuba. So De facto, all those claims should be wiped out, and whoever these judges are should be removed from the bench because they're not using consistent legal reasoning. Now, I'm a reasonable person. I'm okay with either system in the U.S. So either if a person leaves a foreign country and makes a claim, we do hear the case, or we don't, but to do it for people in Israel but not to do it for people in Cuba – uh, I mean, or to do it for people in Cuba, not for Israel. It just shows that our legal system is a sham, and it's actually a political vendetta system in disguise. And it has, oh, we're a clear. republic, and we have to have be a nation of consistent laws. And, of course, people can say, oh, that's anti-Semitic and stuff, but Arabs are Semites too, so it's actually our system is very anti-Semitic. Uh, if you don't like anti-Semitism, then you should support not doing not screwing out people who are Semitic. Um, 17, end military aid to Israel. If Americans want to donate, donate your fortunes. Israel supporters can go it, but leave the taxpayers out of it. Remember separation of church and state if the Israeli lobby persists. And keep in mind, when Netanyahu came, he got dozens of standing ovations as the puppet stood up and, you know, basically um, – I just think that the idea of us giving money to Israel—it makes there's nothing in it for America. Uh, We keep hearing that Israel is an ally, but allies don't spy, they don't attack our military ships, um, they don't conduct assassinations and then drop American passports at the scene, etc. Number eighteen. Uh, I think that all students should be able to earn their high school and college degrees entirely online at no cost and have those degrees accepted. And this begins the possibility of popping the education bubble. The whole Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton thing that we're, we're going to give you free college, it's an inflationary nightmare with no end. There's no reason for 95% of the costs Of universities and college. Now I say this as a person who paid off my student loans from MIT. When I went to MIT um, I had zero support, not one penny from any family member ever and MIT was the most expensive university in the world. But why is MIT so expensive? Well because it's paying for all this research and paying for these world-class teachers and things. So if you want to pay for that stuff By all means, go pay for it yourself with loans or with whatever else you have. But to get a degree, let's say, especially if you're going to be getting it in computer science, uh, where you're going to be on computers all the time anyway, you should have proctored examinations where you have to show an ID and show up for the exam. You know, and people should be able to see you on social media, like post the pictures on social media. So anybody can say, oh, well, that's not actually him. You know, have ways of doing it. But ultimately, there's no reason to have this hyperinflation by paying for anyone to go to whatever university they want and study whatever subject they want, even if it has no economic value. So everybody should get an education, but nobody should be have their social life uh, subsidized. Um, 19, put billions into medical IT, including medical VR, and offer free annual scans with an expert explanation so people know whether they're getting Uh, worse or better. And also have veterans' hospitals, but make these open to all Americans. And if you think the cost is too much, well, end the embargo and get Cuban doctors and reduce the cost of doing that. Um, 20, implement the national innovation plan I wrote for the Obama White House, the Acceleration of American Innovation. It's 185 pages. It's awesome and wonderful, and it will improve innovation. Right now, one of the problems of America is we don't even have a good definition for innovation we don't have a metric we don't have a measure people say oh well it's patents but it's been proven that most chinese patents are simply taking us patents and other patents translating them into chinese and then translating them with using a different program they're not actual patents there was a study by thomson reuters of the 100 most innovative companies in the world and they went through their whole process and what they found their last screen was whether anybody was referring to the patents as prior art. And as it turns out, there's almost nobody on earth, including other Chinese, who are referring to Chinese patents as prior art. In other words, mm. there's no invention coming there. So right. they may have numerical inventions, but what that means is, you, uh, and this is the po- whole point of my paper, and this is the breakthrough of my paper for the White House, is that it's a different way of measuring innovation that's never been done before in any other country. A new definition, new measure, new metric. And that in itself could be a whole show. So I'll just move on from it. 21, develop medical AIs that will provide ever-improving real-time health and fitness uh, advice 24-7, 365. Um, a friend of mine got her chatbot company Sensei uh, funded, $4.5 and, and so chatbots start with taking an input from from experts, but more and more of the time, they learn what the person is saying. They're seeing this question or this data, and then they're responding in a certain way. There's absolutely no reason that we cannot have medical AIs start to be implemented using chatbots and other technologies that are available through Facebook and other social media today so that we don't have to go see a doctor if we can get a scans, blood work and all that and the medical AI can look at it. Sure, if you want to have a doctor give you an opinion that's fine, but we if we're talking about healthcare as opposed to the medical industrial complex, healthcare should be available to people and the AIs should be able to track, like in return for using the AI, you give your health data and you show your outcomes, and we can see which gave better advice. So there are already surgeons that do as well as human surgeons, but a robot can be manufactured for a lot less than $750,000 a year per robot. Okay, number 22 may seem like an obvious one, but it has enormous implications. 22, change the laws so Americans own their own bodies and can make any and all upgrades. If you want to replace your arms or your eyes, you can. If you want to freeze yourself while you're still alive to wake up in the future, you can. If you want to com- legally commit suicide, you can. And this also means that the abortion debate is over. You own your own body. So as long as you're mentally competent, then you decide whether you want to keep your baby or not. And I, I it's my belief that in a secular society that anything other than you owning your own body um, there, there's, you're going to have to have the creeping influence of religion and you don't have the, church, uh, the separation of church and state and you no longer have a secular country so uh, 23 offer painting and music instruction for free and there's evidence that Americans need to have at least two hours a week of creativity uh, to be sane to be mentally healthy um, 24
1: Make that it a national priority.
0: What's that? Oh yeah, because most people are not doing it. Yeah, exactly. Um, make it a national priority to reduce the number of addicts, and there are 40.3 million, so it's 12% of all people over the age of 12. And I want to add, um, I want to reduce that by five million a year instead of adding a million or so a year. Now, this is where I'll give props to Hillary Clinton. She at least has a website where she's saying that. Um, that basically, that we should be concerned about this, and I think anybody who wants to be president of all Americans has to include people who are addicts, and in many cases, people become addicts because of the medical industrial complex and recently, there was a bill that someone tried to pass which held the pharmaceutical companies responsible for not flooding what 's obviously going to illegal uses, and the pharmaceutical companies use their you know their their campaign contributions to kill it. So there are places in Florida where the CVS uh, has provided 59 OxyContin prescriptions for every single man, woman, and child in that town, you know, the equivalent right. of that number. It's just it's flooding the place with it, and that's because you have these opiates and opioids, which are chemically indistinguishable from heroin, and people are allowed to sell them, and it's absurd. Um, I think it's really alarming that we have 1.6 million cancer diagnoses per year in the U.S. And um, I think it's very important for the government to say cancer cells consume 800% more glucose than healthy cells. And I think that Americans should be horrified by the idea of being in glucosis, and which means that they should be in ketosis. Because if you're in ketosis uh, and you're living on ketone bodies and ketones, which cancer cells cannot use, they don't have the proper fully functioning mitochondria to, to use them, you're going to have less cancer. More, keto, more ketogenesis and ketosis means less cancer. I think people need to know that. In China, by the way, they have 6 million cancer diagnoses per year. And of those people, 600,000 people per year die of cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. Um, 26, basically take away all the subsidies uh, for sugar and carbohydrates, and we have to, yes. uh, we, if, if we're going to switch to ketosis, it should be vegan ketosis as much as possible, because processed meats have their own cancer risks, but avocados, olives, coconuts, nuts, and seeds, all that together, all, all fruits, all vegetables, all nuts and seeds accounts for only 2% of U.S. agricultural land, and in California, the state has banned all but two kinds of avocados, and there are dozens of kinds of avocados, but we don't let them in here. Avocados. We've got be the dozens cool.
1: of different types of avocados planted on RISE in Costa Rica.
0: Well, RISE is very smart. Uh, I coined <laughs> the term to describe what's so great about it, that it's ambient nutrition. So what we want yeah. is we want greater ambient nutrition, where you walk out and you get an avocado. But Americans, unless there's something... Some medical indication, some allergy, should be consuming um, an avocado as a meal uh, once a day. If Americans just did that Absolutely. for your meal, you had an avocado, and you, you know, let's say that you did intermittent fasting, you skip breakfast and then have an avocado for lunch, we would be able to get rid of obesity and we would save hundreds of billions of dollars a year in medical costs. And so when people are saying the government should be single payer and pay for health care, I say that the government should stop subsidizing sugar and carbohydrates and get people to be in ketosis, and that would be the equivalent of all the money government is spending on healthcare by itself. Deal. Um, and then this number 27 is Americans to, be, um, to encourage Americans to go to the ketogenic diet and be in ketosis unless it's medically inadvisable, and treat carbs and sugar like cigarettes. Now, this is why you want to be in ketosis. Ketosis increases the efficiency of your brain, your heart and your micro, mitochondria by twenty eight percent. It increases your blood blo- uh, your brain blood flow by forty two percent That's amazing. I mean, when I talk to people sometimes, their brains look like they're just not getting enough blood. They look like they've been choked <laughs> like neurologically they look like they're they're just not getting any blood to their brain. I just want to 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 shake their head and get some more blood in it. You know, well, that's what eating an avocado or eating coconut mana. If you've never tried coconut mana, I highly recommend it. When you and I were in Costa Rica at Envision, we had that coconut mana jar that people could grab. It's a very easy snack, very healthy. Uh, good stuff the next too. thing is um, encourage Americans to stop smoking and drinking alcohol and have free clinics in every city and online to stop drinking and stop smoking. We should be relentless. We should also. Just set a limit, say here's how many opioids and opiates we have, and we're going to use 10% less per year, and just ramp that shit down. Because nice. right now we have 4.5% of the world's population, but we consume over 80% of the world's um, opioids and opiates that are legal. Now, that means the yeah. average American has – and my math might be off, but I don't think so – It's we consume – over 70 times the per capita consumption of opioids and opiates. I mean, it's insane. So we have to reduce that shit. 30, I yeah. love your
1: focus on health care. I love there's so much in here about keeping people healthy. Like this is, this is what it's like caring for the people that you're looking after, right? Caring for the people, not just about all kinds of random policies. Well, this is what the all, debates and the discussions the
0: should. This is what the discussions and debates should be about. If we're going to have all these conferences and have all these speakers, these are the kind of things that the speakers at the RNC, the, the, the Republican National Convention, and the DNC and the Green Party Convention. This is the; these are the things that we should be talking about. We well, should be putting education. Well, yeah, of course I care about them. they people are my brothers and sisters. I mean, here's something we should all be saying. It's not a public policy, but. Genetically, we're no more than 0.44% different from each other. We're just not that different from each other. You know, we really are each other's brothers and sisters. Everybody alive today is the descendant of a group that got reduced down to 2,000 breeding individuals 57,000 years ago after what I call the Toba filter. This volcano, the Toba volcano blew up and it darkened the skies for years and we basically had winter a winter world for years and at one point there was one human being per 98,000 square miles around the planet when you know most humans were had died and we're the descendants of those people we are survivors and you know and our, we overcame neanderthals I mean, we live through ice ages, we have so much shared adversity, we should be brothers and sisters, and now we have the new equivalent of Neanderthals or ice ages as a threat, which is obesity and bad diet and drugs that hack our reward pathways and our—you know basically screw up our ability to use dopamine and serotonin, and we got to help each other out, we got to help each other through this, through this time. So 30, okay, and we, just so you
1: know, we've got we've got five minutes left before we've got to transition out of the show. okay you um, we've got five minutes left here.
0: OK, so teach meditation, and yoga in all schools um, and to emphasize that the leaders. This is the core. The whole thing is right here. Emphasize that the U.S. should be the leader in neurogenesis, creating new brain cells and make neurogenesis, creating new brain cells be part of our education, have everybody get at least three hours a year of instruction. Also, I want to have AIs be part of doing government so that fewer government officials are needed. That means fewer people to bribe. And you start with the areas with government corruption. And wherever there's a scandal, replace that areas with AIs, uh, with the code known to people. Um, And by the way, there are... $400 billion of losses through cybersecurity. But part of that is because the NSA is in charge of cybersecurity, and the NSA also wants to have a broken lock. So the NSA has mandated that all companies put broken locks on everything. And that works about as well as Gaddafi's Libya, where no home could have a lock on the door. And so if you left your apartment, anybody could just walk along, try the door, find it open, and move into your apartment and kick you out. So the NSA is... Very much comparable to Gaddafi's Libya in that sense. Um, also, make, say that the U.S. should be the leader in financial technology, artificial intelligence, virtual reality, augmented reality, and robotics. Those are the things that we should aim for. Plus, we should be the leader in 5G with the fastest wireless internet on Earth. That should be our goal.
1: Ooh, are you, are um, you going to write that book?
0: Uh, yeah, mm-hmm, I am. Yes. Okay, good. Uh, 5G is not fully defined, but it's not just about bandwidth, and we have got to worry. You you asked me this question yesterday, so it was quite prescient. We do not want to have things that are going to heat up your brain through microwaves because there's no pain receptors in the brain. So you can heat up the flesh and turn it into cooked chicken or cooked-type flesh inside your brain. And 5G is, you know, we have to make low-power options. Um, We want to offer every American citizen free astronaut training in case they want to go. We want to claim the moon and Mars as a trustee for a hundred years so that there's a consistent body of law available and you can settle property claims. And, uh, Russia, China, India, South Africa, all have disqualified themselves in their body of law because anybody with any power can steal any kind of mineral from anybody anywhere. And we don't want to have that in space. Um, and I've been advocating this, by the way, since 1996. So I've been, I'm 20 years out there saying that the U.S. body of law should be used and we should be a trustee. And nobody has come up with a better system than that in those 20 years. Um, 27, we want to reform the U.S. We want to live up to all of our treaty obligations, or we want to leave those treaty obligations in the U.S. and only take on those missions we can finish. We should not have any goals that are vague or political or – We only want to take on missions that we can fulfill. We want to make Russia an ally of the U.S. and end the Cold War completely. We see that played out in the election right now. We want to end the war with North Korea, which is really a war with China, if we settle this war with China. Um, We only want to appoint Supreme Court justices who will read the Constitution out loud and affirm, declare, promise, and swear under penalty of perjury that they will uphold the U.S. Constitution. And in particular... We want them to say that they know that, the rights are reserved for the, that all the rights are reserved for the state with only very limited power for the U.S. federal government, and they will not legislate from the bench. It's BS when you see the Constitution and see what it says, how many things are being done that have nothing to do with the Constitution. And if someone's not willing to look in a camera and promise the American people that they've read the Constitution so we know it, I don't think they should be on the Supreme Court. I think this is a minimum test. Yes, it's boring, but it's necessary. And, you know, they can read the Constitution in, I don't know, a day or two. Um, we should have Congress revise the War Powers Act to give more freedom to the president's commander-in-chief, but only up to, um, but they can only deploy more than 10,000 troops and contractors after an official declaration of war. Ben Rohde, do you know when the last three times that the U.S. had an official declaration of war, which should be necessary to trigger the Trading with the Enemy Act? Do you know when those, what those countries were and when it happened?
1: What year? When was it official? No, I don't know. Official declaration
0: official. of war, which is what should be done, which you, you should have to deploy more than an expeditionary number of forces. It was against Hungary, Romania, and Bulgaria in May
1: 1942. Wow. It's been a while. Yes. We should probably so, update those records. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so it's it, the whole the, it's too easy to just go in and you know, it's just kind of like somebody who who tells his girlfriend, Yeah, I just want to stick it in for a minute. You know? That's what they're, that's what our system of war powers uh, is like now. President and, yeah, and we, what we know the what hell happens are we every doing.
1: Time he says he wants to stick it in for a minute or you know, it it ends up being a little more than a minute. Um Yeah,
0: and Alex Well that's the thing I, I think yes.
1: I, we got to end it here, man. I think this is okay. uh, part. I think this is part A of a, of a, a B series, and I think we should probably do another one before the next episode. Um, this was this was amazing. I love this. Uh, I I I love thinking about it. I love talking about it. I love the emphasis on the positive. I love everything you said. I am writing your name in. Um, Thank you. Oh, thanks. thanks for taking the time to... Well, yes, I, I that's mean, it. you I, said I three things. You, you, you said three things.
0: So the first one is read Clean Disruption of Energy and Transportation by Tony Seba. The second one is read the book that I co-authored with Brett King, Augmented Life in the Smart Lane, for one reason. We're not talking enough. Um, Jim Clark does on his technological unemployment page on on Facebook. So I'm not including Jim Clark in this. He's He's been way ahead of everybody. But... The idea is that robots and AI are coming, and they are going to wipe out more than 70% of jobs. There are going to be almost 2 million truck drivers put out of work by self-driving trucks as we replace that with fleet automation. So, um, And the third thing people can do is just simply write my name in, if you like these ideas, on the ballot. Because I personally uh, – I'm not going to vote for somebody if they don't meet my minimum standards for – caring about America, and they're playing all their silly games. I think if people run BS campaigns, that, that there should, they should not have a mandate. And so, yes, they may win, but what's going to happen is two things. One, they're not going to get their legislation passed. And if you look at Hillary Clinton, her main legislation was what? three Naming re, three post offices. That's pretty much it. Um, Donald Trump has passed... Zero legislation, and so even if they win the election for whatever reason, and Jill Stein is going to take a lot of votes from Hillary, so it's not a given that even if Trump completely screws up and gets fewer votes, that uh, that he won't win. But there, um, those are my three things. Uh, ben, can we tell people about our upcoming events in January?
1: Sir, sir, I was I was hoping you'd mention that. Yeah, let's hear it. Okay. And let's share the reasons why, too, why this is uh, important and and amazing now. Sure. Well, first of all, on the 11th of January
0: in Costa Rica on the Rise property, 800 acres with uh, 30,000 fruit trees and the world's greatest ambient nutrition, just walk out there and pluck something that's tasty and nutritious and organic, um, we're going to have a a two-and-a-half-day summit For people who listen to the show so we're going to have people who are speakers ben will be a speaker i'm a speaker and we're going to invite the guests we've had on the show to come and join us and then there's going to be a little break midday on that sunday um, and then we're going to start a a retreat a 5d consciousness retreat led by ben and by me so there's two events in january you can come to either or both and uh, we welcome your presence
1: yeah, and this this um, this event that Alex and I are doing, the Futurist Retreat, is for people that are leaders in their industry. They've already been massively successful, and they want to hear alternative ways of ramping up their their success on a consciousness level, on a physical level, on a grounded level, and a higher level um, of awareness level. Right, Alex has a lot of experience with the the brainiac stuff. I mean, you listen to him talk; he's a he's a computer. He's got the answers, right? He he is AI. He is the singularity. And what my wife and I do, we've got you know we've got the consciousness answers. We've got the five D consciousness. What's next uh, as far as consciousness? How how we can stay smarter than the computers? Um, and uh, I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun. So anyway, next show. Next show, we've got Jim Channon from... So he was the inspiration from The Men Who Stare at Goats, the movie that stars... Uh, Jeff Ewan McGregor. Bridges, Jeff Bridges, Ewan McGregor, and George Clooney, right? So Jeff Bridges' character plays Jim Channon, Right. And it's an amazing movie. Watch the movie. It's called The Men Who Stare at Goats. But Jim Cannon was the guy that brought consciousness and the superhuman movement into the military back in the 70s. And he was a, a student of, of everything in regards to consciousness. And then the military gave him his own budget to create these uh, remote viewing projects. And it, just an incredible story, incredible human being. And he's always been ahead of his time, right? And so what he's doing right now is he's got an amazing eco-village, eco-oasis, um, bio-oasis in Hawaii. And he's just got some amazing stuff. So check in next week. We love you guys. Thanks for everything. Talk to you soon. Bye.